0: Hello, and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through
1: intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you.
0: Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. We begin this episode with an exciting announcement. This month, we enter into a partnership with the AB Corker Foundation for Mental Health. This will allow us to continue producing our weekly podcast, as well as our daily social media posts, and to support our Facebook community. So it seems only appropriate that Dr. Corker himself
1: be our first guest this month, though we want to point out that choice was ours as we maintain full editorial control of the podcast under our agreement. Adel is a retired physician with 37 years in academic and clinical medicine. In that work, he says he became intensely aware of the body and brain connection
0: and the pivotal role that mental health plays in our physical well-being. In a wide-ranging discussion, today we look at how Dr. Corker learned the lessons that led to his foundation and current mental health advocacy His story reinforces the fact that personal experiences, both our own and those shared with us, are often a far more effective teacher than books and formal education. In hearing about his mental health journey, you'll also learn why his foundation is such a good match for us. Here is Dr. Adel Corker giving his voice to depression. We begin with a look at ADL's formal medical
1: education, which started in Damascus, Syria, and continued on the east coast of the U.S. We asked what percentage of the focus of that education was on mental health, or the connection between mental and physical health.
2: My focus is, was called, of course, General Internal Medicine at the time, and, and then went on to do nephrology, focusing on kidney disease and metabolic bone disease. So really, my training has been centered primarily about the body, not much really about the brain uh, or the emotion for that matter.
1: Now in his 70s, Dr. Corker still remembers that when taking the formal entrance exam for medical school, he had near-perfect scores across the board, with the exception of psychiatry.
2: I knew everything about lupus. I knew everything about kidney disease. I knew everything about the heart, and I remember that One of the cases that they gave us in my uh, medical license exam was uh, a patient who uh, turned out to have schizophrenia, and I knew nothing about schizophrenia. And here I am, you know, qualified to practice medicine and and see patients.
1: While brain and body health may have been separate in academia, their connection was inescapable when his mental health education shifted from theory to practice,
2: it became very apparent, though, when my work became more focused and centered around end-stage renal disease and dialysis, that I got to see all the challenges that patients who have chronic illnesses have when it comes to mental health. I remember sitting with patients who were telling me that they're sick and tired of their life. You know, they'd like to stop dialysis and uh, and, and 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 die, and so. I think that was the, really the, the, the first serious encounters that I have as a physician was mental health. And uh, fortunately, I had a social worker who, who also had, had, has done some training in, in mental health, and, and she really helped guide me uh, to understand more about depression, more about anxiety.
1: Anxiety was another major factor in Dr. Corker's journey, and this time, the experience was firsthand as his textbook became his
2: playbook. When I was 40, I had a severe panic attack, and I thought I was going to die. I had a chest pain and ended up in the emergency mm-hmm. room and had multiple cardiac cath, and it was all fine. It was not until the GI specialist who was doing my endoscopy, he said, Ado, you know, I wonder if you have a panic attack. And, and I went home, and, and I pulled out the Harrison textbook of medicine, the section of psychiatry and I was reading about panic attacks and it was like I was reading my case. I was like a textbook case of it. You know, here I am. I mean, I'm practicing medicine. I'm suffering from it, but didn't know what it was. Uh, and, and And as I read through it, it turned out that I've had these panic problems way, way, way back since my early childhood
1: lost years or decades of potential treatment, support, and recovery is a reality for many of us with mental health challenges. And even a medical degree doesn't change that fact, or the many hurdles to effectively treating and managing illnesses once they're diagnosed.
2: I couldn't do it with medication because the medications made me very sedated, and, uh, and SSRI really caused some serious side effects for me. I just couldn't take it. So the fact that the panic attacks are often triggered with the sense that I might have a heart attack, maybe the best thing for me to do is to continuously stress my heart by, by exercise and proving to myself that my heart is okay.
1: And for adult that's one of the tools that works really well. In fact, he says running has saved his life. And now it's helping save others, too. The A.B. Corker Foundation's major fundraiser is a 5K run in 50 states in 50 days. That's actually where we met. Dr. Corker was speaking and leading the run, and Giving Voice to Depression was one of the organizations that had an informational table set up to make people aware of local mental health resources.
2: And then I I competed in numerous races, and and every time I feel like I'm going to I'm I'm having any issues, I would just go out and walk or run. And it assured me that I'm okay. So
1: now when you start to feel those symptoms, you head right outside?
2: If I can, I do. But now that I know what it is, I do sit back and and try to take a deep breath. And, uh, you know, I I practice meditation every day. I meditate for not very long. I mean, it took me really, really a long time to... Be able to meditate, it's hard. It's really hard. It's one of the hardest experiences that I've ever had to do, being a scientist, regimented businessman. You know, you always want to do, 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 do things. You know, you're always on the go. Uh, to really slow down is, being, is new and foreign to me.
1: Another technique Dr. Corker believes can help with mental health management is being mindful of what we focus on. It's a lesson he learned from a hobby.
2: As a photographers, you know, you're, you're focusing on something because you see something really interesting and colorful and whatever it is. And, and, and then you want to capture that. If we do the same thing with our emotions, is we, we start looking for the colorful, beautiful things around us instead of the dark things around us. I think that we would definitely be a much, much, much happier and, and, and more satisfied with our life.
1: And as somebody with depression, when I hear that, I think I am able to do that upstream. And when I'm not in it, but having heard the stories of hundreds of people in addition to myself, I know that in it, the positive is just, I'll use the word inaccessible.
2: Yes, yes. And I I can see that. I think we've all been in those dark holes. I know that after my divorce, I went through that very, very hard, you know, but I think getting out of those dark holes is the skills that we really need to all learn and develop, whether we have depression or we don't. Survival is a mental game. You know, indeed it's physical, you gotta be strong, but you have to meet the mental challenge associated with that. You know, the loneliness, the, the, the hardship, sometimes the pain and the aches, So it's something that we're not trained to do. We're trained to deal with the physical challenges, nutrition, but we're not deal to train with the emotional difficulties and the hardship that we can face.
1: If you were training us to do that, both as a doctor and someone who has lived with anxiety and apparently occasionally depression, what would you tell us we need to learn or do or what skills do we need to develop?
2: I think the key to resilience and and, and, and mental health is self-compassion. I think that we have to remember that we have to be willing to accept who we are, no matter what. Uh, I think that the self-acceptance and self-respect and self-love is something that we need to teach a lot more of. You know, we, we tend to be, you know, how good to others are we, you know, but we got to remember that we got to be good to ourselves to ourself. and we have to have, you know, despite all of my accomplishments and the things that I've done to people, I often frequently feel like I'm not done enough you know and 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 that is that is wrong i should you know and and i think what part of my training uh, in the last several years has been really self compassion and self love and part of my meditation includes you know putting my hands on my heart or touching my hand or you know so so so, so the idea i think the skills that can help is really is, is, is to see the value in who we are and have that self love and respect and warmth that makes us feel that we need to continue because we have something higher. We have a higher purpose in life.
1: Being kind to yourself when you're really depressed is tricky because depression's telling you you don't deserve that kindness, that you don't have value. And so I'm wondering if that skill is something we need to develop upstream, you know, before we're feeling it. And maybe it'll help keep us out.
2: Absolutely. I think it's it's a skill that we need to teach our children. We, I, It's a skill that I didn't have and didn't learn. And now that I do, I, I have a much better relationship with me, first and foremost. Um, drugs are important. I mean, you all, we all know that depression is also... Chemical And there's certain chemistry in the brain that really uh, are important. And, and, and we understand so little about our brain.
1: That lack of understanding is not because the brain is the single organ in our body that's just too complex to understand. Rather, Dr. Corker sees it as a direct result of funding choices. He points out that the annual budget for research funding at the National Institute of Mental Health is about $1.2 billion. Compare that to the $680 billion recently spent worldwide developing a COVID vaccine. And it's clear that the money is there when commitment and prioritization are.
2: You know, I, I think that, you know, we as a world, as a society, as a, as a culture have to decide where do we want to put our money? Where do we want to put our resources? Do we want to focus on brain research? And, 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 you know, I think that there has to be a way that we can predict depression with certain chemistry that we can check in the blood or certain tests that we could do on the brain. I mean, there is no reason why we can't have that. But we don't. And I think that's the limitation associated with the funding.
1: Dr. Corker says he is hopeful that priorities may be shifting. If, as many believe, the lack of mental health funding is related to a perceived lack of return on investment, like what expensive acute care generates, for example, then maybe things will really start shifting post-pandemic as the precariousness of mental health became more clear to many more people.
2: I'm hopeful. I'm I'm, I'm really hopeful. I think, you know, there's a silver lining. Unfortunately, you know, half a million people dead. A lot of people got sick, but there's a silver lining. And, uh, you know, maybe that's one of them.
1: Okay. Is there anything you want to say in this episode that we didn't yet?
2: Yes, I do. I, I'm a strong believer in physical wellness and physical health. And I truly, truly believe that, you know, there is a saying in Arabic that uh, the healthy mind as in, are in healthy bodies So I I strongly believe that no matter what your mental health situation is, whatever it is that you're going through, remember, remember, remember that be kind to yourself. Eat right, exercise, sleep well, don't drink excessively, don't smoke. Do all the good things that are important for your body, because that's where your soul rests. And that's where your mind rests, you know? And meditation and attending to your emotions is very important. And exercise, it doesn't take very much. You spend two minutes a day, two minutes twice a day brushing your teeth, spend about the same amount of time meditating. Uh, That's not a lot of time, that's four minutes, you know? So taking care of your body, and your mind is is a big investment that pays enormously in the long run. Not only pays enormously when it comes to your own happiness, but to the happiness of the people around you.
1: Absolutely, it's hard to be around somebody who's miserable and it's hard to be that someone who's miserable.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs)
0: Boy, you're both laughing, but it is so true. Hard, hard, hard. Oh, it is hard. And no, there's nothing funny about it. As for that four minutes, though, I have to say, I can do that, right? I can do that. I don't know that I can do it when I'm in you know, my lowest of lows, but I can most days do that. Mm-hmm. In fact, Terry, I think we should link to um, a four-minute video that we used to both be committed to by Dr. Zach Bush, who we also interviewed, Um and he believes that that four-minute routine done once or twice a day is enough.
1: And I totally agree with that and think another set of things we should uh, link to are the episodes we did on mindful self-compassion. So we Absolutely. will give all three of those links um, with this episode so that anybody who's interested in minding where your soul and mind, mind rests, uh, as, as
0: Dr. Corker put it, um, will have those resources to, to tap into. And thank you to Dr. Corker for not only sharing his journey with us all, but for partnering with Giving Voice to Depression. Thank you so much. And let's end with his reminder to remember, 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 (laughs) self-compassion, self-respect, self-love, and self-worth and warmth. These are skills we need to develop. And I think you added probably not the best time to develop them is when we're in our pit. Right. So start now. Start when start now if you can, and start when you can if you can't do it now. Excellent. Thank you. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's.
1: We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road.
0: And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.